1: Welcome to Blood Is Red, Volume 1 of the Color Collection series of short story anthologies written by number one New York Times best-selling novelist Scott Sigler. Blood Is Red is also available as an ebook and an unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash Red. Hey, junkie, it is I, your future dark overlord, Scott Sigler. Just letting you know, this is an hour-long episode, so we have put in a couple of ad breaks about 20 minutes in. and about 40 minutes in, it'll be real quick. you hear the shawarmy sound. You'll hear an ad or two, the Shormy sound. The Q&A will continue from there. Just giving you a heads up on that. Let it roll through. That helps us out a tiny bit. And I hope you enjoy this long-winded Q&A that covers an enormous amount of ground in the Sigliffers enjoy Hello everyone, welcome to the Blood is Red Q&A episode. There's no talkie talk because we are done with Blood is Red and now we go into our long-standing 18-year tradition of when we finish a podcast, anthology or a novel, we open up the floor to the junkies to ask questions. Joining me today is my business partner, awesome wife and best pal, a real girl herself. How are you doing, Peanut? Pretty good. How are you? I'm shot the... F- I'm shot. I can swear I'm on my own show, right? You can. I'm shot the <laughs> fuck out. It's been several 14-hour days in a row. Today, oh, it was, today was like a vacation. It was only nine hours before I had to start preparing for this show tonight. And it's so. been
0: ongoing for pretty much a little over a month. Uh, we did have dear friends uh, come to town last this past weekend and hang out with us. And that was epic and wonderful and really a great break. And we are looking forward to being uh, finished with this deadline. But here we go. You ready to do some uh, questions? I am. So uh, this is Q&A episode one. There will be another Q&A episode after this next Sunday as well. And this is your spoiler Warning, this whole cast is not spoiler free. I will do my best to remind you throughout, but understand that any question asked is he's going to give a not a, a spoilerific answer to. Made spoilers, And so that's every single thing, not just blood is red stories. That's everything he's ever written. So I'll try and be a little bit forward about that. But if you haven't read it and you want to now, that's your warning.
1: If you haven't read it, <coughs> you haven't read it. Let's get down to it. Here we go.
0: <laughs> oh, I have a birthday gift because it's your birthday. I've got scotch for whenever you need it. Oh, during thank the, you very uh, much during the writing or the reading. A little of the Q&A. Oban, <laughs> little Oban, little bay
1: right there, which is shown. which is nice because there is a geographical feature in Warpath called Little Mountain. Mm. So therefore, I assume if there is water on Little Bay and it's uh, is water on little mountain and it's not called hidden lake which is what it's called it would be called (laughs) <laughs> Little Bay. So we're going to get into that, ladies and gentlemen. That's for me. You guys can't have none of it. It's all for me. All <laughs> so for me. So we're
0: going to start right now. The first questions, first handful of questions are about Bones Are White. Uh, sorry, Blood Is Red. And there are different, obviously different short stories in Blood Is Red, if you haven't read it. So all of these are Blood Is Red questions. And anything is a spoiler moving from here.
2: Yo, Here we, go, here we uh, go.
0: Gino Garcia asks, number one with a bullet blew my mind. Seemed like background checks might be easier these days with social media. But still, men like Aaron... Aaron Hernandez slipped by. Is there really all that much background checking in real life?
1: Compared to number one of the bullet? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Now, NFL investigation, number one of the bullet in Blood is Red is a story about NFL investigations. And NFL investigations are a team of private detectives, usually ex-FBI, CIA agents, sometimes ex-police detectives, who do background checks on the most on the high-level guys in the NFL draft, the high-level draft prospects. And what people are looking for is specifically to avoid another Aaron Hernandez situation. Team owners are dropping multiple millions of dollars on these kids. And they want to make sure that they are getting somebody who's going to last for the organization, that they're not going to have a Tony Mandarich bust in the draft, Ryan Leaf bust. So they're trying to evaluate what is the kid's character? Does the character have any hidden secrets that people need to know about? And of course, is there anything really bad out there, which happens in number one with a bullet? Now, nine times out of ten, probably ninety-nine times out of hundred, these are regular old normal college kids. There's no problem going on. Most of these kids have busted their ass the whole life to play football. Most of them have done their do, done the best they can with their classes, in con- considering the demands and the time of a mm-hmm. college athlete, male or female, any sport. It's a huge amount of time. So th- those things aside. They want to make sure there's a good player, a good person. Mm -hmm. So, yes, they do check these people out. But if the talent is significant enough, if the player is good enough, NFL owners will overlook an enormous amount of things, and they will frankly just roll the bones hoping that they get a superstar in the making.
0: And I was going to add that I think no matter what career choice Aaron Hernandez had chosen, I, I don't think his choice of career impacted his crime. I think he could have been an accountant and done that. He could have been a bar owner and done that. He could have been in anything and done what he did. I'm not sure that since it, uh, if you guys don't know, Aaron Hernandez put out a hit on someone and got sent to prison for it and killed himself in prison two years later. But I think that was a mentally disturbed human being regardless. And I'm not sure that would have been found on a background check anyway.
1: <clears throat> Gang-related activity is definitely a major concern. And now in this day and age of social media, being able to check on people's feeds, etc., that makes NFL investigations job a little bit easier. But at the same time, Aaron Hernandez Aaron in particular underscores the necessity of teams and the league to try and make sure they have... In, in this, if this sounds creepy, think about it like this. The NFL is a company that is a for-profit organization They are trying to make sure they hire the best possible people for their firm so that they cannot have any black eyes, any more black eyes to the organization, and they can continue to put out a wholesome product that people are going to love. That's what it really comes down to. It just happens to be a football-based product.
0: And I think that there's some accountability, which I think is a good thing. There's accountability for... um I think that the NFL knows that their players and coaches sometimes become aspirational figures to the fans of football, kids who love football. They get the jerseys, all that. So they want to make it reasonable. They want to do a reasonable amount of effort so they don't waste their money and they don't have to clean up PR problems. And I, I know that, for example, following finishing the Aaron Hernandez story, he played for the Patriots when he was arrested and when he was convicted and sent to prison, the Patriots put out an offer that anybody who wanted to trade in an Aaron Hernandez jersey and pick a different player, they would make that swap for free. They would pay for the shipping, all the things. And I think that that that's cool. the sort that of management cool. that you do in a situation that had nothing to do with the Patriots, but still they want to be accountable for their team. And I like that. Yep. OK, let's go. <clears throat> OK, Mike King at- says, I am enjoying The Kids Are Coming For You from Scott's Band Super mm, Thank you very much. At the same time, I also miss Heaven's A Lie. I always imagined that's what trench warfare would sound like. Mm -hmm. Anywho, Mm -hmm. my question, can you talk about how or why Heaven's a Lie was selected for the GFL and why it was changed?
1: Fun question with a lot of answer, which now we have closing in on two decades of history doing this shit. So once upon a time, there was a site called the Podcast Music Network. Mm -hmm. And the first time podcasting was being the big it thing. Now it's the third time podcasting's being the big it thing. The first time. Uh, people were trying to play music and running into copyright issues without as much of the fingerprinting as we have now. Like now you play a song, audio picks up in 10 seconds and that stuff gets banned. It wasn't quite like that back then. And people were playing music, running into copyright strikes. So the other thing people were doing to fight that is they were just doing covers of songs. And at that time a cover of a song was undetectable. So there was Coverville, there were several podcasts where they just took po- they just, covers of people's songs, played them in the podcast, and it was a very fun thing. And to counter against the excess of covers and podcasts, the music industry was basically like, okay, we give up. We just need a place for people to play the podcast. Because once upon a time, labels were smart enough to know that if people hear the song, People are going to like the song song. and they might want to buy the song and buy all the merch and go see the band on tour. Now music companies don't seem to have any fucking idea that if you let people hear your music uh, organically, you're going to get more people who are fans of that fucking music. So there's a podcast music network and this site, people to upload songs, labels or independent artists had to sign a form that says we forego suing for copyright on any of this. People can use this at will. That is where Lacuna Coil was. That's also where I found uh, several other bands. I'm drawing a blank on them right now, of course. But Glass Jaw was one. All the old music you used to hear in the first 10 years of the Scott Sigler podcast, most of it came from that site or my old band, The Transfer. Fast forward to now, even though I had permission ad nauseum to use Lacuna Coil's Heaven is a Lie... Podcast Music Network went tits up, I'm going to guess, eight years ago, five, six years ago. So there is no site there now. And now the other part of it is copyright violation management is done all via AI and the soundprint fingerprint of the algorithms. So if I was to run Lacuna Coils Heaven is a Lie, which I have permission to use grandfathered in, it would automatically get blocked by every site in the world, especially and including YouTube, in any place that carries my podcast, like Spotify, I would never be able to get out of that, and the content would all be stuck forever. So we saw that coming about five or six or seven years ago. We're like, "There's, we don't have, we can't afford lawyers. We can't contact these people. We're busy writing books. Let's just bail out."
0: Hey sis, I see you out there. Shannon adds, "Did you find in this moment on the Podsafe Network, or did you reach yep. out?" Nope, found in, in, the,
1: in this moment. <laughs> nice, who nice of, of whom I'm still a huge fan what is god damn it, what is jack's band and not arimathea that's not Aaron, sure found it's... arimathea on there which we've used as as the music bed i'm drawn, i'm too t- i'm too You're, damn tired
0: i was gonna say you'll think of it so i've
1: from podcast music network i've actually not only found music found musical acts that i have followed ever since i have now uh very good dear friends that i met on there because what i would do is when i play the song And it was free. So I'd play the song and then be like, okay, this is great. I love this. I want to try and contribute to the band. Um, In this moment, I was able to find their management and pay for a couple tanks of gas when they were on tour in a van. And... And a couple of bands I reached out to reached back out to me, and I wound up developing relationships with these artists, and it's very fun. Uncrowned. Uncrowned. Uncrowned, of course, is another big one. We played Uncrowned a ton on this podcast. And we don't anymore, because, again, it's not—I could go to Jack Andred, who's in the owns the copyrights for Uncrowned, mm-hmm. except by— it gets fingerprinted so there's automatic sites that block it and there are predatory sites that block it and then try to get you to pay them so they can reach out to the artist even though these predatory sites have no connection to the copyright whatsoever and we went through that for a bunch of years too and i was not allowed to get on a plane go murder someone so i had to
0: stop this he's he asks that every now and then he's recently asked that and the answer will always be no.
1: Even if you guys want. Them. I think this so is a reasonable request. If I get mad enough, can I get on a plane and go murder someone? And she says no.
0: Yeah. I, you always say I'm allowed to ask a question. And you're allowed to ask a question. I'm allowed to say uh, no. So.
1: You guys can't see this in the podcast right now. have My arms crossed and my chin down. And the, the Donald Trump, I've had enough smirk. To...
0: <laughs> okay. Question from Bill creeps Our Descendant and the Nocturnal sequel anywhere on your radar like maybe in the next few years maybe you might oh, get to work on one Jesus. of those properties. Why don't you
1: burn in hell? How about that? What do you think of that question? That's the answer to your question. You burn in hell. Okay, here's the real here's the real answer. Unfortunately, I uh I am addicted to writing series, which I'm going to I'm going to kick this habit at some point. I have three more GFL books, Warpath, which is going out tomorrow to the publisher, going out tomorrow. Then I have four more crypt book to, books to write and with Rob who's no longer in the chat room four more sleigh books to write so right out of the gate I am already committed to 11 novels and as my partner will will attest I'm not so good at writing short novels I'm not so good at it at all so I think basically we have blocked out the next two to three years without doing any new projects and delivering on those so frankly you are not going to see the only way you will see Nocturnal if there's a surprise TV series and there's nothing in the works right now yep and if that happens, we will hurry up and, and get cracking another book. But we're talking probably 2026, 20, 20, probably 2026 20, yeah, 20, 20, yeah. for I have the way I have enough time to go back and look at nocturnal. And, and Descendant and the Nocturnal books.
0: And I will tell you another a, a ra- a piece of this rationale, which is uh, mm. probably not, I, I think the answer to the question is probably not, but who knows? Because right now we're not adding anything new. And another reason for that is ancestor Descendant is the uh, planned sequel to, or prequel, whichever, to Ancestor. And then there's a Nocturnal and a sequel called Diurnal, both (laughs) are possible, (laughs) but they both belong to uh, other publishers. While the publishing world locks in on itself and locks in on itself more and more, we we also have the problem of it would be unlikely that, say, uh, Penguin would want to buy the sequel to one of the books that Random House put out because then they're sharing revenue and stuff like that. So I, they, they haven't done that. So the way that would happen is excuse me, we decide to put out one of those two books. And to do that, he'd have to get through all these uh, deadlines and 11 books or whatever it is. So the answer is probably not, but maybe.
1: <coughs> I will quote to paraphrase "Let Daniel Day-Lewis and The Last of the Mohicans. Oh, Lord. Whatever you do, stay alive. I will write for you. But you gotta live. You gotta live long enough so I can write those books. So therefore, if you die, that's on you. It's not my problem. (laughs) It's not my problem.
0: All right, let's go. All right, Randolph Brown said asks in the GFL when transferring. uh, What is Greedock? What is his? Who is he? What is?
1: Greedock is a (laughs) quick.
0: Okay, so this is a a quick question. (laughs) In the GFL, when transferring to a queen, a female loses all possessions. Mm -hmm. She is dependent on her male... This is a
1: giant spoiler for the GFL. So if you've not read through the GFL, including the Stone Wolves, you're going to want to skip ahead in this part. Go ahead, babe.
0: Yeah. I lost my place. She is dependent on a male consort for everything, so the queen picks that consort accordingly okay so then why does she ask for her old jewelry back is there something hidden in the jewelry
1: all right listen you motherfucker come on let's be let's be honest with ourselves how many of you people out there have a significant other who every now and then makes a request borderline demand that is a question it's hey Can I have this thing? Can you do this thing for me? Can you go take care of this thing? And in many relationships, I have had these in the past, this is disguised as a choice that you have freedom to make. But in reality, in reality, I think we've all been in a relationship where someone asks you a question, and you included, where someone asks you a question, and it's not a question. It's not a question. It is a specific request, borderline a command. And you know what? I'm I'm going to use one word as a catch-all for all the genitalia and all its forms and all the land, but you know what? Coochie got power, man. Coochie got power. If you're going to stay in I'm that... I'm so glad I put my hand down
0: fast <laughs> at the beginning of this.
1: If you're going to stay in that Coochie's good graces, sometimes you got to make some shit happen, you know what, outside <laughs> of the bedroom or the, the cave where the quiff like to get things done. Yes, she will make certain requests and... I'm not going to say this is an inverted power structure. I'm not going to try and claim I'm subverting expectations or any of the uh, bullshit phrases here from people who know how to write plots. But what I am saying is just because they don't legally own the possessions, quith Quith queens have far more power and control Mm -hmm. than, than the world at, well, the quith society at large may think. And some of this goes back to, you know, going way back to medieval times and before that, just be at a time when women were property and had no rights there were still many individuals within that gender who were able to mm-hmm. b- impose their will upon those who did not have a strong will as they did
0: and i do also remember you saying that it they are that part of the reasons since they Are transitioning from this very powerful wealthy position and they need to be taken care of part of it also is that the things that they ask for back are like personal sentimental trinkets too if a queen said I would like if the queen said I would like to retain the ownership of this entire building I don't know that would work, but what she's asking for are sentimental trinkets. Mm -hmm. So I think that—and that's—I remember you talking about that. So I also think that might be part of it, that everybody likes pretty things.
1: I will say, without giving any spoilers, because these books I haven't written yet, there is far more to the story than you are aware of, and you need to stay alive to get through GFL Book 9 to understand the depths to which this reaches in the Siglaverse.
0: So— not really a spoiler anymore, but that was the first time you mentioned that there would be nine books.
1: We've mentioned on this cast many
0: times. We've talked about maybe that it might expand, but recently we've made the decision that is almost assuredly true and there will be In nine my books.
1: In my mind, it was more than two weeks ago in which we had this conversation <laughs> with the fans. Therefore, it is written. It is decided. Seven, eight. Yeah, it's eight. It's going to be nine books. It's not going to be ten. You may all... <laughs> I will nail you all to the cross. I will go to Lowe's and buy a big box of nails. Stay away from me. It's nine books. I swear it. I swear it. <laughs> also, Danny Baker, when I told you I'd only write one book at a time from now on Warpath is done, I've already lied about that. Yeah. I started, I'm i doing two books when we all go on vacation together in New Orleans. So
0: yeah. Nah, yeah, do uh, ah. Chris Coleman says, we know a real girl's favorite story of yours is in Blood is Red. What is your favorite story in Blood is Red? And oh if you don't, if you guys don't know, you might need to look up the stories in Blood is Red, too. If you guys don't know, my favorite story that Scott has ever written, I've mentioned it many times, is the story Red Man. It is a short story, a standalone short story in Blood is Red about the consequences of <clears throat> irreversible power gone <laughs> mad.
1: My favorite is number one with a bullet because I'd say it's a tie it's time to number one with a bullet and hunt and sacred cow. Are sacred cow. In those. Yeah. Sacred cow. What was the first one you said? Snipe hunt and snipe hunt. Yeah. Okay. So I have three <laughs> ta- three ties. Snipe, <laughs> snipe hunt, sacred cow. Number one with a bullet, and I'll go through why I think snipe hunt is one of those super cool ideas that I'm fair. When I wrote it, I can't remember. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure Wolfen had been out at the time I wrote that, but it's got a very Wolfen feel to it. And since I write science and not the supernatural, you know what? We're going to drop we're going to drop that one. We're going to say Wolfen is right up there with it. But Sacred Cow is it's it's mentioned in the author's notes in Sacred Cow, which are in the podcast. You guys should go listen to that. Just go to slash subscribe get the podcast, listen to all the stuff. It is as an atheist, I wasn't atheist when I came up with this idea. It was just like just trying to figure out what the f was going on with religion then reading some scientific literature on how it actually does change the mind and then you know uh, kind of approaching it from that way but i think the biggest one is number 1 with the bullet because while i got the whole story from the whole story idea from an article in sports illustrated on nfl investigations it's it's one of those it's just one of those super cool things that if, if i had been In a bigger platform, or the right person picked it up, that would have been an X Files episode. That would have been a Twilight Mm -hmm. Zone episode. Jordan Peele would have done a Twilight on it. It's just, it's one of those super cool ideas that just plain works. It would have been Kolchak the Night Stalker.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it would have. Kolchak, yeah. All right. (laughs) So I will say, if you don't know this there are a few things you can do if you go to the Siglerpedia you can probably find there's a we showed you last week the there's a short film about part of the story of sacred cow and what was the other thing i was going to say yeah i forgot
1: yeah that's right if you've not gone to youtube if you haven't listened to the podcast in a while if you've not gone to youtube and looked for scott sigler sacred cow or gone to scottsigler.com slash sacred cow movie one word you missed it out. It's a 30-minute movie done by Edward Earl Newton. Directed. Oh, yeah. di- uh, he directed the whole thing. He, he, he adapted the whole thing. It's brilliant. Uh, it's a bummer he's not making movies anymore like that, but there you go.
0: He's a great guy. Jason Brown asks, the author, or says, the author of the Wheel of Time series died before finishing the series, but left detailed notes to finish the last books. Does Scott have notes to leave to anyone that might pick up his series if ever needed? Uh, I'll take over while he thinks of what he wants to say about this. this. Why would you define detailed (laughs) notes? I will say that I believe if anything happened to... Scott, or Scott was not able to finish the GFL, I believe that together with some of junkie writer friends, like probably Scott Pond and Chris Grawl, and John Biscott, we'd all get together and tell you how it was meant to end. That is a PDF. That's a white paper. It's not, it's two pages long. It's not all the mayhem and all the wonder and all the grace of the GFL. But I could communicate what was meant to happen and what his intentions were in about two pages. That said, I don't think that's true of the crypt. It's probably with Robbie's help we could do that for Slay. <laughs> and then no, I think we do we have a shared uh, okay. uh, database. I'll, I'll
1: say Slay, yes. Rob <coughs> Rob could be the showrunner for Slay and either either write it or get writers work that whole thing. He work in junction with a because Slay is meticulously let's be honest for a story about crows that eat cigarette butts and try and pull a train on a pigeon it's an incredibly detailed dark fantasy don't forget the sex gnome, and don't forget don't forget Mjolnir come on the amount of dirty jokes that are already literally plotted out on note cards is it this note card stacks like this big y'all but the end of the GFL series, which will also mark the end of the Siglerverse, Mm because the crypt will be done by then, is it's just these giant reproductive organs. They're (laughs) huge. They're so girthy. (laughs) Whatever you think of when you think of reproductive organs, it's massive. And frankly, there's who, who knows besides you? Does anybody know? I don't John? think I think John would. knows. Maybe John I don't,
0: knows. John doesn't know everything. So we're talking
1: think. one to two people besides me who have any idea what the end of it is. But it's when I get done with it, I'm going to be wearing sunglasses and on a lawn chair and sipping my ties, y'all. I'm not going to have money to do that, but that's what I'm doing. They, there's no topping it. There's no topping it. I
0: will also say that Empty Set, the two of us, we share a database of story ideas. And while that, it's organized in a certain way where if there's a, just a thread of an idea— it's categorized in one way, and if we revisit it, it ends up getting changed a little bit more. But that has oh, ninety, maybe a hundred, maybe story ideas.
1: Oh, the database? Yeah, that yeah, has come, come out of his head. Never going to get to. It.
0: And those, some I think those would be. I would take over his threads and his Facebook if something happened, and just post what could have been and cry a lot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> first of all okay
1: that's lovely uh, if I pass early A is going to get out my database of stories and have herself several glasses of, of wine and she's going to communicate with you all you're going to share your general grief together she's going to share all of the brilliance I had to offer you but I was just my life was cut short too quick if she goes first hookers and blow for two weeks and then a fucking croak
0: we need you. We need me to die last, so that you guys know what happened <laughs> in his head.
1: Okay. Uh, honestly, when when A goes, I will social media post my demise. But it's going to be a spectacular, furiously fast demise, worthy of someone <laughs> who's accidentally fell upon a Coke distributorship in '84. It's going to be spectacular. There will be a fast sports car.
0: This next question might start to provide a solution if we do. Lose him the hookers and blow route from Robert Gelb. Let's go. Robert Gelb. Let's go. My question is about artificial intelligence. Recently, an AI engine called GPT-3 mm-hmm. wrote a video game just by some guy describing what type of game he wanted. Okay. I've been writing software for about 25 years, so I looked at the source code for the game, and it was good, clever even. Then I read a short story that was written by this same AI. Someone gave it a one-sentence prompt, and Mm -hmm. it went from there. It was good. It was not Sigler good, but it was not horrible either. The whole thing reminded me of Petra Prowitt's first steps in Robot Uprisings. She created something and didn't even realize the full power of what she's done. Anyway, I wanted to get your thoughts on this.
1: There's not really questions, but general talking talking point about it.
0: I think the question is the idea of creating something and didn't realize the full power of what she's done. Oh, Do creating
1: that? something did not realizing the full power of what it is. We're, we are already in the midst of this right now. I have said for, I'm going to guess, I'm going on 20 years now, possibly more since I read a book called Artificial Life, that we are going to engineer our own successors as humanity. That's not any kind of lightning bolt from the sky thing Uh, sci-fi authors have been saying that for a long time but the way I see it it comes down to self-reproduction within the programs um, genetic variants or programming or data variants within the copies and then genetic crossover. So those are the three big steps. Step one is computer programs that either can write copies of themselves make copies of themselves or the big one, what's really going to fuck us, is when that combines with self-organizing self machines mm-hmm. that can harvest resources, which is what the Prowat are all about. You combine these two things together, and what you get is, we're talking about millions of years of evolution gets truncated into about 30 years of science. And then at that point, the self-reproducing machines and the self-reproducing AI are going... Almost equal with us now as far as the ability to make evolutionary changes and become stronger, become the survival of the fittest.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where we get screwed is the best we can do in the most repressive cultures in the world. Every 12 years, you get a new generation. Mm-hmm. In the Western world, we're up to like every 28 years, you get a generation. With self with programs, we're talking minutes, hours at the most. With actual self-reproducing machines, we're talking matters of days and weeks. So we just we will absolutely get left behind. I say all that to answer the question, the, the genie's already out of the bottle. It's already too late. Yeah. We're already completely screwed. So people are making all of these things and I think they have absolutely no idea what they have unleashed and I will also say Someone was going to unleash this. This is an inevitability. This is going to happen. We will go the way of the dinosaurs.
0: I'll add one more thing, which is uh, I've, I've read recently, a hand, and I think we might have talked about it last week, the idea that uh, AI-generated images are weird. They're uncanny valley and problematic. But AI-written stories are not—they're not terrible. They're not—but they, they but, They're not bad. They're not unreadable gibberish.
1: Can I address that? Um,
0: But I want to say, if you think about it, if you're vaguely older than 30, you will have seen a change in your lifetime for computer graphics and for CGI things. And so back in the day when we were playing, I played my first video game was Pong. They couldn't make Fortnite when I was playing Pong, but that doesn't mean that they weren't making graphics. And I think that's a point uh, that we did talk about last week. That I think there are AI-written stories. There are AI-written lawsuits. I know we we know one that went poorly, but because the loss, the AI bot made up made up laws unfortunately
1: in the chat room i just posted a link to a book on amazon called artificial life a report from where the frontier a report from the frontier where computers meet biology it's written by Stephen levy it came out apparently in 1993 although that might be a reprint it might even be earlier than that and that was the book i read and i was like you know what you can do (laughs) <laughs> you know what, you do? Daddy kiss your ass goodbye. And uh, I've been watching things gradually come to fruition. If you read that book, pay attention to the chapters about Boyd's B O I D S. These are electronic data-only birds. You read that, and you will. You know, what, you're going to join me. The hookers and blow. Because you might as well spend that money before it is all gone. As far as the fiction writing goes, right? Uh, the uh, the rag's on the wall. The writing's on the wall. As they said, you talk about computer graphics, you go back to where computer games were. If you guys are of my age, if you're Gen Xers, go to where computer, look at computer graphics now, compare those to what games look like when we were 10, 12, 13, 14, even in approaching early 20s. Yeah. It is staggering the difference. I just watched a video today that was a completely AI-generated Star Wars film. It was five minutes long. Story made zero sense. The graphics, when they actually, of course, when they show Mandalorian talking, looks great. Stormtrooper talking, looks great. When they show a human talking, the lips do, are not quite queued up. <laughs> but this is already echelons above where it was even five or six years ago. So five or six years from now, when they figure out the human face, they figure out the lip movement thing. That's why, digressing, but this is why SAG-AFTRA and the strikes in Hollywood mm-hmm. are fighting so hard to prevent studios from being able to reproduce the voice and likeness of an actor Mm -hmm. because as soon as they can do that, Brad Pitt stars in everything. Harrison Ford stars in everything. 200 years from now, it's Brad Pitt, Harrison Ford and whoever else happens to have won the genetic face lotto and are brilliant enough to it's this shit is already going to happen. We're screwed. Fiction writing is an even lower hurdle because you don't need an iconic face or visual for it. It's just words on a page and uh, Sports Illustrated got in trouble
0: with it just this week because they got caught hiring AI to write local stories. And then there was also, I'd say, everybody, my mom is in the chat on Facebook. Marianne Radowski is my mom. I love you very much, mama. I think, what was her name? iCarly. And this was maybe 15 years ago. And she was a, a YouTube. It, we weren't sure if she was an accurate, accurately portraying her reality or whatever. And it turns out it was wildly scripted and, and everything else. Today, there are influencers on Instagram who don't exist. They are all AI. Yep, and, and people they, they get, make big bucks. They, yeah. yeah, people give them paid promotion and stuff. Ten, gran, ten grand bots. a spot for one. Yeah. Ten yeah. Grand a spot. but this even
1: going back, I think it was. It may have been as long as ten years ago. There was a computer-generated musical artist in Japan, and they would project this artist up on a live screen. On a stage, and they were putting like eight to 12,000 butts in a seat. They were selling out theaters for a person that didn't exist to watch them perform live. It's already over, you guys. It's already completely over. Let's move on. Depressing.
0: Kyle Reed asks, says, I'd like to know how you, as a novelist, decided to write a short story. And do you still nope. write short stories? Or were these precursors to your long form novel writing?
1: Wonderful now? question because we're talking about Blood is Red, which the entire anthology is available as an ebook, as an audiobook, or you can go listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Which you can subscribe to at Scotsle.com slash subscribe. Did you know that? You I, did, that? I didn't I didn't. And now fact. I do. It's a fact. I, I podcast every week I have for quite a long time. The point is, when I started out writing, I am a person of moderate intelligence and less than moderate athletic ability, who found success in various endeavors by repetition, practice, diligence, and boneheaded stupidity of not knowing when to quit. So I knew I wanted to be a novelist. So I went into the I went into journalism. Knowing that if I was writing newspaper stories, I would be getting reps. I'd be getting writing reps all the time and get paid for it as I learn to be a better writer and eventually move on. When I finally decided, you know what, I'm going to do, I'm going to find a way to do this for a living. I had no idea how to write a novel. So what I started doing was, all right, for the next year, I'm going to write a short story every week, finish it, be done with it. At the end of the year, I'll have 52 short stories and I think I'll have a, I think I'll have. Gotten in the octagon and taken my lumps and learned how to be a better fighter. So that is why I started writing short stories in the first place. Many of those short stories are included in the Blood is Red and Bones are White Mm -hmm. anthologies, and it's just my without knowing I had a man a mantra not without knowing I had a mantra, my mantra is get in the ring, and get your ass whooped, go get your ass whooped, and as the more you get your ass whooped, the more you're gonna learn how to not get your ass whooped. You're gonna start winning a couple of matches, and then before you know it, you have gone from my freshman year, or my junior year of wrestling, we just got wrestling six and thirty, to my senior year of wrestling twenty eight and four, five. So like you just make by you don't have to know how to do something to start doing something. And jump in. And Chris Hardwick was a big one of this. Jump in with both feet, make mistakes, figure it out, get better, and start to evolve from there.
0: I'm going to, before this goes, oh, just went off the screen. Okay. Uh, can you scoot it back mm-hmm. down a little bit? Uh, oh, honey, I know, a know how to bit. scoot, girl. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Sean a asked butt. a great question. Sean on Twitch. Uh, uh, Shandara asks, in The Rookie, Virex says, that quith females breed, quote, out in the open, end quote, on OS2. Does this square with the later hyper-secretive concept of the Queens? <clears throat> There's some information I cannot give you at
1: this point, but... I'll use a modern pseudo-analogy. There's some poor bastard in Russia who just got, I think it was 10 years in prison, because he wrote on a window with his finger, in, in due, no war no Ukraine war, something along those lines. Motherfucker's going to jail for 10 years for that shit. So he did it out in the open, but he has also been observed by his culture, finds his behavior reprehensible to the point where it's punishable by jail time, and now he is going away. Do queens breed out in the open? Yes, they do, because this, like all of the sentient species, sentience culture and high technology have only existed for a sliver of time in the overall arc of their evolution that's what people did way back when before being naked was some kind of abhorrent sin Cro-Magnons and other human variants were just banging all you just went at it you just went at it you're like you look good boom let's get it done you didn't go find a cave to squirrel off away and all that business you know you're like like will say It's where here we are in the veld with the dust flying. There's a thousand people in a herd. Let's get on. Let's get it on. I
0: think we have the answer. Oh, okay. The answer is wildebeest and the veld. All right. Vance Solomon, who I already love because this is such a beautifully worded question. What inspired you to write this particular story about Iowa? It's funny to me since I live here and we do have some strange people. (laughs) I love that. First of all, Vance...
1: Everybody got strange people. <laughs> <laughs> this particular story about <laughs> Iowa. I would always get mad back in the day when people were like talking about fat, stupid, violent Americans. I'm like, do you not think these people exist everywhere in the goddamn planet? This is not a special thing that we have created. They exist everywhere. We've just developed the ability to magnify and broadcast these particular behaviors. What was this question? (laughs) Guy
0: It was what inspired you to write this particular story about Iowa?
1: I am from the Midwest, as are several people in the chat room. I'm fairly certain that Iowa is not all that different from Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, Indiana, and that other state that we will not we will not discuss something about a buckeye. I can't quite remember. But yeah, it's about if you're and that's another concept that's not unique to me. You take, the con- you, you take the idea of a very highly advanced research facility, you put it out in the boonies because you've got some iso- isolation and you've got the ability to hide what's going on, something goes wrong, and uh, chicanery results. So just Iowa Typhoon sounded great to me. That was just a, a two-word idea where I came up with a mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. because you don't have typhoons in Iowa. So therefore, I thought it would catch people's attention. I wrote a fun story, and there was a lot of blood.
0: and to finish the the there was another piece to that other question about does he did he switch from short form to long form fiction and the answer is no he still writes short stories in a very narrow window it has to be I think two specific people asking him to do it and we have to revert the rights to put him in a book
1: I just got asked by one of the people who are allowed to ask me to write short stories write a short story why did a book (laughs) event in Encinitas Mm. and I had to be like I told, I told him I said you go to hell <laughs> I got 13 books to write You just You go to hell Because I wanted to write the story Like fucking immediately <laughs> Sorry Henry
0: oh. No you didn't mean Tell me about it I'm so impressed
1: I got focus I actually just When I went to do focus You guys listen to the podcast I put that Like that made a knife Of my hand I put the knife to my nose I moved it forward Focus And then I poked myself In the eye <laughs>
0: Okay, Ian Cole asks, or says, I was very surprised, oh, spoiler for the Stonewolves, I was very surprised in Stonewolves to learn Good of Goldman's Tracy. previous military experience. Was there mention of this in previous books? I cannot believe I missed it.
1: You did not miss it. Because in, in the Siglerverse, you're only seeing things through the prism of the point of view character, which is, I believe that is endemic throughout my work And it focuses heavily on, we are all the hero of our own story. And the people that we think of as evil or villains, they do not think of themselves as evil or villains. And there's a whole completely separate set of history and events and cultural impacts coming in these people. And where we interact with other people is this narrow slice of a Venn diagram. Quentin saw what Quentin saw. And he's our primary point of view character in the series. And remember, you guys, even we're we're coming into book seven, dude's 24, Mm -hmm. maybe 20. He's 23. While uh, you may have hated him in book one, he's come a long way. He's still extraordinarily young and he's very busy. He's very busy and terribly important. He's got games to win. He does not give two shits what about someone's past is. And on top of that, Goldman has kept that past very well hidden. Okay. David Lamb, you burn in hell. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Kristen Stam asks, or says, The great snipe hunt was amazing. I moved to New York City for work and was listening on the subway going home at night. Mm -hmm. You better believe I jumped at every little move out of the corner of my eye. Do you think there are unseen predators around us in real life or just the seen ones?
1: In in any urban environment, in any environment, totally there are uh, unseen human predators all over the place. There are people who do not think like you, who do not act like you, and do not have your moral code, who are actively working to predate on other individuals. So, yeah, there are unseen threats. uh, There are
0: microscopic unseen threats.
1: Everywhere. Then we get into biology, as just Mm -hmm. mentioned. Microscopic unseen threats. And bacteria and viruses do not give two shits about how smart you are. They're not capable of understanding any of that. They just do what they do. If you are unfortunate enough to be caught out in the wild in an area where there are predators, uh, you are going to be considered to be food and something will hunt you. It's all over the place. Unseen predators, unseen threats exist everywhere to the point where I think it's only been the last 100 to 120 years where people are not looking for those threats on a regular basis. And we owe that to the cumulative Iterative benefit of advanced society advanced cultures and technology and medicine where we don't spend every day going that's gonna kill me That's gonna kill me. That's yeah. going that might kill me. We just go about our business. Yeah, unseen threats are everywhere
0: and in particular being a New Yorker I will say uh, Even before the, the, the rats in the subway is what she's talking about. There's also cockroaches in your house Pretty much in New York. You're gonna get them now and again and uh, I think those are probably unseen predators Probably Mm. eating your cheese in the middle of the night. That'd be still... Teen predator, I guess that would be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Bill Cripps asks, he says, I've got a couple of questions since everything has been put on Apple Podcasts again. I've been listening to lots of stuff. One at the end, spoiler alert for Infected and Nocturnal. First one for Infected, at the end of Infected, is that the key coming through the gate? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, That's
1: deeply, that's covered the reasons why you see the key in Infected and they are in the position they are in when you get to the GFL, is it is listed at siglerpedia.scottsigler.com. It's in the timeline. If you guys go look at it, all of the answers are there. I'm not going to give you specifically what's going on, because that hopefully will come at a later book.
0: Okay, and his second question is from Nocturnal, or about Nocturnal. What were Sly and the rest of the Nocturnals doing before they killed the priest? Obviously, they were active as well as Ericsson. Mm-hmm. But the way it starts, it's, but by the way it starts, it sounds like, oh, it sounds like until they started knocking off Rex's enemies, they were in hiding and weren't using their protection symbols.
1: That is why there's two elements there. So, number one. The anchor for the Nocturnal series is a thing called the Keystone Predator. And a Keystone Predator is a predator that holds a preyed-upon or subjugate population in check by their activity. And in evolution, if the evolutionary arms race has advanced to a point where there's one primary predator that has outlasted all of the other predators to prey on a certain species or a certain group of species, and then that predator goes away, what happens is their target species is allowed to reproduce unchecked. You get a population explosion, which can have cataclysm- cataclysmic consequences to the current biological equilibrium. Mm-hmm. So uh, the savior is a keystone predator. The fact that the nocturnals know he's out there, that they know he's looking for them, In this book, that mitigates their predatorial behavior. Mm -hmm. They can't do the things they want to do. They can't hunt the way they want to hunt because they know if they slip up and they become too obvious, they're going to get an arrow through the head and they're just going to vanish and they're going to die. So this is a behavioral keystone predator impact. Once that goes away, then all hell breaks loose. The other part of that is when members of Marines' children don't pay attention to the rules, they don't follow firstborns' dictates. When they just aren't smart enough to realize they're not as badass as they think they are, you know what they say, you can be Johnny Badass until you meet Johnny Badass. And then you're going to get your ass handed to you. And there's always someone faster, bigger, stronger, and meaner than you. There always is. So these people disobey the rules. They go out and do what they want to do. They get taken out of the picture. And everybody's still at home. And the layers, like, I ain't going to behave like that. Mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> so that is why you don't see all these things, because there's a total check on the population. And once they realize that that check is gone, thanks to the
0: unfortunately mentioned TARD, that's when things
1: really start to jump up a notch.
0: So as a reminder, and I don't know how to do this, but Steve or Scott or somebody note where this is in uh, roughly in the time. Teresa Lynch says, I'm with A. Red Man breaks my heart, too. For me, it's his resignation without fury behind it that destroys me. Do you think it's important for writers to feel emotions strongly to write them?
1: I, I think people who are drawn to this profession in most genres— are already here because they feel these emotions quite deeply because they feel sadness and tragedy and happiness and elation. And they, look, they can look at someone else on TV or look at them in real life or look at them at the grocery store and not only make up stories to explain in their head to explain what they see in that person's face or how that person interacts with other people, but uh, the the tiniest thing like I walk down the street and someone is just nice to a dog, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, oh, that's so awesome. So yeah, I, 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 and I would I would go the email route and say I just feel things so deeply. I do. I just feel things deeply, more deeply than other people. I don't think that's true. I think everybody does this. Everybody feels. The way they feel, even though the feelings are different, the same stimulus can produce completely different reaction in in different people. But writers are like, just think that shit is so cool and just want to communicate that. And as for myself, I've said before, my calling in life is to make you care deeply for a person that never existed. That's what I do. I try and make something so real based on your reading that you feel sad when things don't go well for Quentin. And you feel very upset when certain characters die. Yeah, that is what I do. And I think a lot of writers do the same thing. But do I think writers of this special breed? No, I think everybody feels that way. Writers just have a way to take that, encapsulate it, distill it, and serve it back up in imagination.
0: And I do also think that for anyone who's night, read the script or the crypt, this is a little bit of a spoiler for the crypt, and that's pretty new, so it's not a very big one. But there's one character named Anne who is particularly vicious, and I think that you can get an, an sort of an adjacent feeling and be able to distill that and make it more powerful. That's what y- your ability that I don't have is mm-hmm. in, in that being able to retell. But I don't think. I don't think that a person who was as vicious as Anne is or as uh, selfish as Somali Midori is, and I don't think you could be that... You could express all those different emotions and have all those emotions. I think that would be impossible. I
1: did just say at the beginning of this podcast that you won't let me get on a plane to go kill people. So That's true. Oh, Although I, guess- I would be more humane about my murders. I would not be quite as graphic. I will say one of the challenges I have set for myself... Is to make you root for the serial killer and want to watch her succeed, even though she has none of the redeeming qualities of a Dexter, while an abhorrent individual, is serving the greater good, which is what made that book series and that show so magic, and has none of the greater good. (laughs) And my job is through that series to make you root for this completely psychopathic individual.
0: We are going to wrap up this podcast right now. Do we just uh, kiss off into the sky? Yeah, we do tell him
1: kiss them off. kiss off into the sky.
0: All right. I'm kissing you for your mm-hmm. birthday.
1: Yeah, it's for my birthday. Happy birthday, me. We'll be back next episode with more of The Blood is Red and the General Sigloverse Q&A. Until then, we will talk to you all real soon. You have been listening to Blood is Red, Volume 1 of the Color Collection series of short story anthologies written by Scott Sigler, performed by the author. For more information on Scott, please visit scottsigler.com. Blood is Red was produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is Dead Silence, by the composer Vazia Sakal.
3: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling-medical-investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The heresies of Radolf Buntwine. Coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.